Um, our pastor Alex is away uh, for a couple of weeks, so Ed <laughs> is one of a uh, number of people who are stepping in uh, to fill that gap. And uh, friends for me. Yeah. Is that right? I think. So. I didn't know how to say it. <laughs> Let's pray before we uh, come to God's word. Lord, thank you for Ed. Uh, thank you for the way you've been working through him over the last couple of weeks as he's been looking into this uh, passage as he brings us your word. Lord, we trust that it's living and active. Uh, your word is uh, made alive in us through your Holy Spirit. So let your Holy Spirit uh, bring those words to alive uh, in our lives. Help us to apply them where it's hard to uh, give us uh, soft hearts to accept your word. Uh, and speak through Ed. Give him discernment. Uh, help him to know... Uh, your wisdom as to where he needs to speak into our lives and what he needs to touch on specifically. Uh, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Uh, so if you look on your sheets in the middle, there's uh, the passage and then there's an outline as well. Um, am I right, standing in the right place? Would someone be able to read the passage? Is there someone who has a... Carl? Yeah, brilliant. So Luke 12, 13 to 21. Luke 12, verses 13 to 21. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said this to them, Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool! This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich towards God. Great. Thanks, Carl. I was really glad that Andy prayed that, um, uh, that God's Spirit would help his word uh, to come alive for us because I think that's the two things that we, that we really want. We want to be taught by God's word, not by me and my little brain, but by God's word as his Holy Spirit himself reads uh, his, his word to us. Um, so so that's, that's a great thing um, as we come to this passage is that God's word is living and active and we're going to learn from it today. Um, start of 10. How much money do you think the average person in the UK thinks is enough, enough to be happy to live off, enough to be content. Have, let's have a shout out, Carl, what do you reckon? More than about 25k. 25k? Okay. More than they've got, that's nice. A million, a million. We're talking annual salary to be, to be content, yeah? So we've got, we've got a range from 25k to a million. Um, any, anyone else, anyone else? Just to shout. 100,000. A few nods for 100,000. 50,000, that's good. 110,000. Okay. <laughs> higher, lower, higher. 
Excellent, great. It's uh, apparently, according to this one report I read, it's £83,000. £83,000. Um, so that's actually the second lowest in Europe. So the lower, lowest in Europe, easy. Belgium. No, Germany. Germany. Because they can make it go further, can't they? Because um, they're more efficient. Uh, <laughs> So that's half the amount that people in Dubai think. My favourite stat is um, Brazilian men think they can live happily off £93,000. Brazilian women... (laughs) £150,000. So the disparity is just massive, isn't it? So there's a lot of disappointed Brazilian women out there, uh, is all I can say. Right. But it, um, it comes to, to, to our hearts, doesn't it? What, what, do, we, uh, what do we really value? Um, what is the British dream? Why, why do we need £83,000 a year? Well, I think if we were... Get, we don't make idols anymore, but if we did, they might look like this. They might look like some keys for your house. They might look like a phone with uh, social connections or connection to the internet. They might um, look like uh, your wallet. I don't know where my wallet's gone. Okay. And I think this is the big one, the wallet. It's the big kind of idol because it means that you can afford the house. It means you can afford uh, the phone and the, uh, and the cars. Our idols can fit in our pockets today. Um, these are the things that we worship. And the parable today goes straight at the heart of that, that British dream uh, of wanting to have a successful work life wanting to be able to, to retire early. And as he says in uh, verse 19, I'm going to take life easy, I'm going to eat, drink and be merry. These are the things that people are really striving for in Britain today. Now what's wrong with that dream? Well, uh, I've titled the talk today, Guard Against Greed, Be Rich Towards God. Guard Against Greed, Be Rich Towards God. Um, and uh, so this will help us to see what's, what's going on in our hearts. Um, and so that's our first point. Jesus judges the heart. So we wouldn't be aware of greed if it wasn't for, for Jesus. He, uh, there's an outline on the sheet. So Jesus doesn't judge between people, but he judges the heart. Jesus judges the heart. So let's look at verse 13 to 15 again. Uh, someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. So this this man in the the, uh, passage today wakes up in the morning. His father's died recently um, and all the inheritance has gone to his older brother. His, His older brother isn't sharing any of it. And the, the younger brother is just feeling the injustice of that. Can you feel that? Just that kind of weight of, okay, my brother has taken all of my dad's money and he's not sharing it with me. Can you feel that kind of sense of, oh, why, why isn't he doing that? Why isn't he being generous to me? And so he hears that this teacher, Jesus, is in town and he takes his brother down to see Jesus. And in the middle of all this teaching that Jesus is doing, he shouts out over the crowd and says, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Uh, tell him to share and he looks at his brother and he's like right he's going to get it now he's going to be told Jesus is going to put him in his place but Jesus doesn't do that he doesn't bite he, he doesn't offer a kind of fix it solution for these brothers instead Jesus penetrates right to the heart of the problem and Jesus judges the heart problem uh, 
I was in the office the other day with Alex, uh, who's the pastor of the church. Alex has a two-year-old son called Henry. Uh, Henry was just crying his eyes out. He came in, he was bawling his eyes out, and he said, I want the two blue Lego bits. They were like the most important things, and someone else was playing with these two blue Lego bits. He said, I want the two blue Lego bits. Um, And Alex could have answered that, we'll get you two blue Lego bits, Henry. Or he could have said, Henry, you don't need two blue Lego bits. But Alex instead, his response was brilliant. He said, do you think you need to go to bed, Henry? (laughs) (laughs) You see, what Henry needed wasn't two blue Lego bits. He needed a sleep. And Henry said, yes, I'm tired. I need to go to sleep. And it was really cute in the end. Um, So Jesus sees through our crying, sees through our tantrums to our hearts. He sees what we really need. He, uh, he knows what's really going on. He's not the judge and arbiter between these two men. He's the judge of these two men. He sees that their hearts are full of greed. Um, he sees this younger brother is, is coveting, is wanting what his brother has. Um, and he says, instead of sinning, why not rather be wrong? So Jesus sees the, sees the problem. And their problem, what is their problem? Well, it's not that one brother has money and the other doesn't. It's that problem of greed. So Jesus warns them against greed with both a proverb and a parable. So the proverbs there in verse 15, have a look. Verse 15, then he said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Life isn't about having lots of stuff. That's my paraphrase of it. It's not about having lots of stuff. So what is greed? Well, So greed is the desire for more than we have and more than we need. Greed is the desire for more than we have or more than we need. So Jesus, when he says, guard against all kinds of greed, is saying, uh, guard against the desire for more than you have and more than you need. And I made a list of all the kinds of greed that I could think of. you can probably add to more than I could think of, um, but they roughly fall into four categories. Um, I think it's worth thinking about all these different kinds of greed. So firstly, greed for stuff. That's the Marilyn Monroe, diamonds are a girl's best friend kind of materialism category. Um, it's probably the first one we think of when we think of greed. It's the food and the drink and the clothes and the, uh, um, the wealth side of, uh, of greed. Secondly, there's greed for self-worth. This is kind of a bit more subtle greed. It's where you want status or recognition or power. Thirdly, there's greed for pleasure. And we see that the rich man says he wants to uh, eat and drink and be merry. Uh, It's that be merry, uh, pleasure-seeking. And that might look like thrill-seeking, over-the-top thrill-seeking, or it might look like binge-watching Netflix. Um, It also includes a kind of... uh, it includes the feeling like we have to buy into luxury. Uh, so this is something that came from C.S. Lewis's Screwtape Letters. He talks about delicacy, or I would call it luxury, where you feel like you have to have things a certain way, um, where you might, instead of seeing taste of difference as a treat, you see it as, a, as an entitlement. I have to have taste of difference because uh, nothing else satisfies. Um, so it's that greed for pleasure. I know, taste the difference. It's, it's, it's hard to give these things up, but it's worth it, and you'll see why. You'll see why. 
So, fourthly, greed caused by not having something, caused by lack. And that's the problem for this brother who's come to Jesus. He's not got what his brother has. He, he wants what his brother has. Um, and he craves it. And uh, you could call that coveting. You could call it envy. Essentially, it's not having something and comparing yourself to someone else. Yeah. So there's all these different kinds of greed. I'm sure you could categorize them differently. I'm sure you could add more. But Jesus says, the important thing is, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. If it falls into that category of greed, watch out for it. Be on your guard. Uh, and our greed looks different for each one of us. Each one of us has a different answer to the question, if only I had, I would be happy. If only, how would you answer that question? If only I had, I'd be happy. And that's our idol, or that's the kind of thing that we might cover or might envy. So why are we greedy? That's the next question. Why are we greedy? I came across an article in Psychology Today which said, greed is a response to existential insecurity. It sounds posh, doesn't it? Existential insecurity. I quite like that. Uh, but don't worry, it just means, um, it just means feeling afraid that we're not going to be okay. It means fear. Feeling afraid that we're not going to be okay. And so we eat more than we need because it makes us feel good and if we stopped, we'd feel sad. Or we work ridiculously long hours because we crave the status that that job and being busy gives us. We fear letting people down. Um, and uh, yeah, we, we fear that we would miss out if we stopped. And so on. So we all have our own particular mix of existential insecurity, our own fears. We want to be happy, whatever that looks like for us. We want to be comfortable, whatever that looks like for us. We want to be loved, whatever that looks like for us. And when we worry it's not going to work out our way, we compensate by eating, by drinking, by working in unhealthy patterns. And all because of feeling afraid that we're not going to be okay. And the reason I've made the link here between fear and greed, greed and fear, uh, it's not because of psychology today in this article I read. It's actually because it's, uh, it's part of the context of this passage. So this passage, chapter 12, Jesus five times says, do not be afraid. So verse 4, he says, do not fear those who can kill the body. Verse 7, he says, do not be afraid, you are worth more than many sparrows. Verse 22, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or drink. Verse 11 and verse 32, he says, do not be afraid. He repeats it again and again, do not be afraid. And so greed, we see, is right in the middle of this passage about fearing um, and uh, fearing uh, that you'll miss out on this world um, in favour of uh, what God can offer. Uh, so greed is first and foremost a heart problem, where we put our fear and fulfilment uh, in the wrong place. So instead of fearing God, finding fulfilment in him and what he gives in his kingdom, we substitute in a fear of people. We uh, look for fulfilment in what we can see around. So it's a heart problem where we get our fear and our fulfilment in the wrong place. Do you remember the story of the three little pigs? Uh, so two of the pigs build a house out of straw and wood and along comes the big bad wolf and he huffs and he puffs and he blows the house down. Uh, that's existential insecurity, isn't it? When you've got a wolf with big lungs outside your house blowing and your house is made of sticks. But then from inside the brick house, the three little pigs sing, who's afraid of the big bad wolf? They're no longer afraid of the big bad wolf because... They've built something solid. 
They've built something with foundations. So they've switched from this place which is decaying, which is not well made, and they've switched to something that's lasting and that's going to be strong enough to stand when the big bad wolf comes. So that's the first point. Jesus judges the heart. He knows our hearts better than we do. He sees that we have fears. He sees that we have existential insecurities. And he calls us to switch those fears around, switch them out, to watch out for greed. Life is so much more than stuff. And so that's the proverb. And now let's look together at the parable that Jesus tells to back up that proverb. And parable uh, is simply a story with a meaning. Uh, So let's look at the problem of being rich towards self. Uh, The rich man loses everything because he is self-satisfied and greedy. So Jesus tells this parable. There's a rich man and he has a massive harvest. And he thinks to himself, well... What am I going to do? Well, I will tear down my barns, I'll build bigger ones, and I'll put all my harvest in those big barns, and then I will say to myself, oh, you have plenty now, you can eat, drink, be merry, relax, enjoy life. Uh, You've earned this retirement. But then God comes to him and says, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you, and then who will get to enjoy what you've stored up for yourself? And Jesus backs up the parable with the meaning, don't build up for yourselves treasure in this life. Instead, store up treasures in heaven. And before we look at the parable, um, we need to ask this question. Is it wrong to be rich? Is it wrong to be rich? See, most of us, I think, uh, either have pensions or would want pensions. So is, it, is this parable saying we shouldn't store up, would want pensions? Yeah, definitely. I see some people laughing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> At some point, maybe in my future, <laughs> I might have a pension. But yeah, it's something that we might want. Um, but is, is, it, is it wrong? Is it storing up our crop in big barns? Um, well, wisely, I think Jesus introduces the man in the parable as a rich man right at the start of the story. So the man is already rich before everything that comes after it. And I think that's really helpful for us in thinking, actually, it's not wealth that's the problem. Uh, as, as a parallel example... There's Joseph. Joseph uh, in Genesis, the king of dreams. I wonder if that looked a bit like Connor. Does anyone think? (laughs) Maybe. Um, Joseph was the ruler of Egypt. He was a very wealthy man. And he he was ruling through seven years of bumper harvests, massive harvests. What did he do with that harvest? Well, he got them to tear down the barns and build bigger ones. uh, Didn't he? he? He... managed to get the whole of Egypt to store all their crops, all their excess crops, in big barns. So that, when the seven years of famine came, he could get all the wealth and save people's lives, distribute that. Um, And so he is a great example of someone who's really frugal, who's really wise with the things that God has given. Um, And there's one difference then between Joseph and this rich man in our parable today. And the problem is his heart. So he's not rich towards God. Look at what he says to himself in verse 19. He says, I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. So he thinks he can be satisfied just by relaxing, just by eating and drinking and being merry. 
And again, these things aren't bad things. It's not bad to be rich. It's not bad to have rest. God rested on the Sabbath. Eating and drinking. The Bible says we can eat and drink towards God's glory. And so, uh, so these things aren't necessarily bad things. But the problem is that greed makes us forget the important things and puts unimportant things in their place. The problem is not wealth or rest or eating and drinking. It's when those things become more important to us than loving God. Okay. Do you ever get fixated on the wrong thing on your to-do list? Yeah? A few nods. Yeah? I do all the time. Uh, it's like you can spend a whole morning scrubbing a skirting board and then go, where'd that morning go? Um, you get fixated on the wrong thing uh, on your to-do list. Now, that's bad time management, isn't it? And greed makes us fixate on the small, on the fleeting, on the decaying, on the passing, uh, and misses out on the important things. Uh, and that's the problem for this man uh, in the parable. He, has, um, he makes unimportant things important. And there are five ways that he does that from this parable. First, the rich man doesn't consult God when making decisions about what to do. Verse 17, he thought to himself. Verse 19, I'll say to myself. So he relies on himself. He doesn't consult God. He doesn't get God in the picture. Um, You remember in the Old Testament of battles where people forgot to consult God. It never goes well for them, does it? Uh, I've actually been really encouraged this week that Alex and Andy went away Monday to Tuesday and uh, they had a good time of camping and praying together, seeking God's will uh, as they lead us as as, uh, church. And it's a really good example to us. So thank you, Andy, uh, for for doing that. And we should follow that in our small and our big decisions. But the rich man, he doesn't consult God. He relies on himself. He makes God's will less important than his own desires. Secondly, he forgets where his wealth came from. So there's no mention that God gave him the harvest. He thinks, uh, he says to myself, you have laid up plenty of grain for many years. You've done this. Forgetting that it's God who makes the crops grow in the first place. So there's no gratitude, there's no thankfulness. So he makes God's work less important than his own success. Third problem, he has no thought for others. He says, um, uh, verse 21, this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but not rich towards God. So he's not thinking about God. He's storing it up for himself. He's not thinking about other people in that. Fourthly, he's forgotten that life is fragile. Life is short. Um, And this is a big, big mistake. He's made eternity less than his 50 years on earth. That's really bad maths, isn't it? To think eternity is less than my 50 years. Um, and I, but I think that's something that we do all the time. We think this world is all there is. This world is, is what I'm striving for. This world is what I'm trying to get the most out of. When we don't remember that God has given us eternity. God has given us eternal hope, eternal treasure, eternal pleasure. And finally, this man has forgotten uh, that his life is God's. Um, verse 20. God said to him, You fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. God has the uh, position that he can demand the life of this man. He has the right to. And so the big problem overall 
He makes God less important than himself. That's how greed works. Greed makes unimportant things important. And the result, verse 20, we just read it, his life is demanded. His life is demanded. He loses everything. God comes to him, speaks harshly, but honestly. He says, you fool. You fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you've prepared for yourself? You can imagine him, can't you, building his barns, tearing down his barns and building bigger ones and getting really excited, rubbing his hands together and thinking, yeah, I'm going to retire soon. Soon it's, it's going to all be over, I'm going to have a big party and then I'm just going to chill for the rest of my life, relax, eat, drink and be merry. Ecclesiastes 2.21 says, A man labours with skill, wisdom and knowledge and then all he has built becomes a legacy for the one who has not worked for them. It goes on to say this is vapour. This is meaningless, vapour. Like the dew of the morning which disappears. And so this man, all his planning for 50 years, everything he's put his work towards, he realises too late that he hasn't made any plans for eternity. His gods are are small enough to fit in barns, just like ours are small enough to fit in our pockets. And we forget, he forgets, the God who rules his whole life. So in summary, that second point, the problem for the man in the parable is, is that he is rich towards himself. He's made these unimportant things important and he's forgotten actually what life is really all about. He's forgotten, uh, he, he's done that thing that Jesus has said that his fear is in the wrong place. He fears, uh, uh, his, he, he's putting his fear and his fulfilment in this life and not in the life to come. So what's the solution? What's the solution? Uh, we need a solution. Well, the solution is be rich towards God. Give away your life for the God who gives you himself. Ecclesiastes 2.25 says, Who can eat and who can enjoy work without God? We need God even just to enjoy food, enjoy work. Um, He makes things taste better. Uh, There's a a guy called John Rockefeller who was in the 19th century billionaire, probably the wealthiest uh, modern man. His answer to the question, how much money is enough, incidentally, was just a little bit more, which I think is a really wise answer. Uh, But this is something he's quoted as saying, nothing can satisfy. This is a billionaire saying this, nothing can satisfy but Christ. So you can't trust me when I say only Christ can satisfy, because I take it as a badge of honour that I can pay tax at the end of the year. Uh, But he... It is. Um, But John Rockefeller, billionaire, probably uh, father of all the tycoons, he said, nothing can satisfy. You can't find anything in this world that money can buy you that can satisfy but Christ. And so he's rich towards God. Well, what, what does it mean to be rich towards God? Two things. Firstly, it means switching accounts. So switching accounts. Uh, Jesus says, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Not treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, but bank in heaven where you've got a lasting treasure. It's like, being a Christian is like uh, emptying out completely your Northern Rock account and putting it all into Swiss gold bullion 
just before the Lehman Brothers collapse in 2008. It's like moving out of your straw and wooden house just before the big bad wolf comes and moving into that lasting brick house. Um, so it's, it's, a, it's a treasure switch. It's saying, I'm not going to waste time banking on these things that are going to decay. I'm going to bank in something that's permanent, that's lasting. Um, even though it seems weaker now, it will last and its value will increase into eternity. Treasure like kindness. Treasure like building your relationship with your Father Creator. Treasure like spreading the message of Jesus. Treasure like enjoying the message of Jesus. Treasure like enjoying the Holy Spirit. Um, and so, I said at the start that, uh, that greed is the desire for more than we have or more than we need. But when we realise that we have a treasure that can't be taken from us, suddenly we don't have that fear, we don't have that existential insecurity anymore because we have a firm foundation. Our lives are hidden like, uh, like we've hidden ourselves in a safe and the safe is called Jesus Christ. Our lives completely are safe in him. Martin Luther puts it this way. He says, because a man trusts God, so there's your safe, because a man trusts God, therefore he is generous and he does not doubt that he will always have enough. Do you see that? Do you get that? Because you are solid, because you have treasure in heaven, you know that you have an unlimited pot of, uh, of God's providence, then you can be generous. Then you can give financially, then you can give your time, then you can give your energy. You don't have that existential insecurity anymore. So switch accounts. Put your confidence in the treasure that lasts. And secondly, being rich towards God means turning from self to God on a day-by-day basis. So that switching of accounts, you can open up your, your account, but then not actually put any money into it. Um, and what, what use is it? Um, you've got this account, but you're not putting anything. So this is uh, the difference between justification and sanctification. This is the kind of day-by-day investment. So just as we saw the five mistakes that the man in the parable made, uh, we can see five ways where we can take the opportunity to be rich towards God on a day-by-day basis. So firstly, we can, where he doesn't consult God, we can consult God. We can uh, be rich towards him by actually valuing his will and saying, Lord, your will over my life, I want to be obedient to you. Can you look yourself in the mirror and say, I'm being obedient to God? Um, and where, what comes to mind when you do that um, that needs to change. Secondly, instead of forgetting how you get rich, forgetting the good gifts that God gives, be thankful, be grateful. Thirdly, instead of not thinking about others, we can use that position of security to be generous, to care and act for others. Fourthly, remember eternity. Uh, I remember my old pastor said, and I loved it, life is short, eternity lasts forever. Get that perspective. And then fifthly, forget, he forgets that his life is God's. He, so instead, we need to remember that actually, this life I live is not my own. We belong to God. He made us and we belong to him. He created us and he's the only one that can recreate us. Okay? At this point, it's really important. Um, you've been listening really well, and uh, uh, just uh, keep uh, hanging on in there. We've got um, 
we're, we're nearly at the end, but I think this is so important. So this is really, really just key um, to this passage, to understanding this passage. Why be rich towards God? Because if you don't get, get this, then the weight of everything I've said is, is just really, is just out the window. Um, why be rich towards God? Why is it worth banking with him? Well, from this parable, we can see these things. That God is the only one who can take the weight of our desires. He's the only one who can satisfy. He's the only one who deserves worship. See, there's only one God. And so that's why we're built only to worship one God. We can't worship two gods. We can't worship God and money. We can't worship our wallets and worship the Creator. We can only serve the one God because we're built to worship one God. And we have eternity set in our hearts. And so only the eternal one can satisfy that longing for eternity. Um, So in this parable, we see that God is the giver of the harvest. We see that he's the one who, who makes the crops grow. So he deserves gratitude. He deserves thankfulness. We see that he's wise. He's the one who's got the perspective. Jesus judges the heart. He sees what we really think. He also, um, God in this parable, is uh, able to see the man for his narrow-mindedness. He calls him you fool, as opposed to God's wisdom. Uh, Thirdly, Jesus is our judge. He demands honesty with ourselves. Can we look in the mirror and say, I'm being obedient to God? He's the giver, fourthly, of the lasting inheritance, uh, the, the only inheritance that doesn't perish, spoil or fade, the eternal inheritance. And really importantly, who's telling the story? Who's the storyteller? It's the Son of God in human form. It's the Son of God who was rich beyond all splendour who didn't consider equality with God something to be clutched onto. He wasn't greedy for that status. He wasn't greedy for that position where he was the king of heaven. But he let that go and he came to earth. And he lowered himself to be a man. He lowered himself to be a servant who washed people's feet. He lowered himself to be a sin offering, to die as a criminal on a cross. He lowered himself and lowered himself and lowered himself. The person who's telling this story is the opposite of greed, which is grace. That is, that is the storyteller. And this storyteller is also the one who demands our lives. Love on the cross, love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. See, God is in charge of our lives. He owns our lives. And in this parable... He says to the man who doesn't believe him or obey him or live for him, your life is demanded from you. To us today, he says that. Your life is demanded of you. Not to die physically, but to die to yourself, to take up your cross and to follow him. To stop being rich towards ourselves, but to take up our cross daily and follow him, to be Christian. And that's the cost of being a Christian. It's expensive. Give away your life. But the reward is amazing. For the God who gives you himself. We have eternity in our heart and it can only be fulfilled by the eternal one. 
So that's the trade we're called to make every day. Give away your life for the God who gives you himself. So why do we keep overvaluing these pocket idols, these pocket gods that we have? Why do we keep living our whole lives for these things when we have permanent, complete, lasting treasure? Why do we keep putting ourselves through fear and existential insecurity? Having a new baby boy is absolutely amazing. It's really great. Um, And one surprising thing that Nathan, my little son, does is he helps me to visualise images in the Bible. Um, And I'm doing bottle feeds every couple of nights at the moment and it's, it's great. And when he's thirsty, he absolutely guzzles. He guzzles the milk. He's just... You can't stop him. Uh, he's, he's crying for it six times a day. And it puts me in mind of 1 Peter 2. Like newborn infants crave pure spiritual milk. Crave pure spiritual milk. Are we craving the Holy Spirit? Are we craving God and what he's going to teach us through his word? Are we curious? Are we like the Bereans pouring ourselves into scripture and saying, what is this word teaching me today? Are we greedy for God? Are we tasting and seeing that he is good? Are we greedy for treasures in heaven? Are we greedy for life eternal, life everlasting? Let's crave God. Let's do that account switch and go, I don't don't want this sticks and straw house anymore. I want that permanent foundation. I want that safe. I want to be safe with God. So let's crave God and let's be greedy for him. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for your love for us, sending Jesus to die on the cross for us. That he who was rich became poor to make us rich. Lord, I thank you so much for uh, giving us appetites that we can enjoy food, that we can enjoy drink, that we can enjoy TV series and we can enjoy uh, achievements and and, uh, the things that that we're able to, to achieve because you've allowed us to. And we give you all the glory for those things. We praise you for those things. And we want those things to be accounted to you um, in heaven and um, as praise uh, to, to your name. As the deer gasps for streams of water, so my soul gasps for you, my God. Lord, let us not be satisfied until we find our satisfaction in you, the eternal one. Just thank you so much for Nathan and how he's teaching us all. Uh, to to cry until you get something. And uh, just thank you so much uh, that we can be greedy and crave you. Lord, please give us your spirit today. Give us uh, understanding, give us wisdom, give us uh, a security that changes our lives here and now to help us to be generous to others. Give us a security that helps us to to not worry about our lives and what other people think about us, but gives us the, uh, the amazing... Uh, surety and security to be able to to just get out there and be a witness to you in our workplace, in our families, uh, among our friends, uh, wherever we are in London. In Jesus' name. Amen.